All right, here we are again, week three of the NFL. I'm A.J. Hoffman. Steve Fezzik in here on another edition of the Dream Preview. Uh, the Picks Preview will be out later. Uh, later, I guess it'll probably be out this morning. Who am I kidding? We're recording this Wednesday afternoon. Wednesday evening we record the Picks Pod, so you'll get it all. But this will be out first. Uh, and just kind of discussing some things around the NFL and, and how how we're seeing uh, point spreads affected, how we're seeing totals affected, and, and maybe some chances for you to make some money on a, a more macro uh, basis than just the game-by-game stuff that we'll give you in the, uh, in the Dream Preview later on. Let's start out with this. How much are the decisions of these coaches – impacting the games these days? Because it feels like it, when we talk about, oh, more teams are going for it, like there's a lot more coaches' decisions that are being made that used to just be automatic that are no longer automatic. Yes, and it's kind of the pendulum swinging the other way that it's almost becoming an automatic, oh, it's fourth and one, I'm on your 42, of course I'm going for it. That you know, the, the memo has gotten out to most of the coaches not to all of them, certainly. And so if you're left behind as a coach, then you absolutely are behind the eight ball. I know we, we, t- we spoke about David Coley and Houston, and he had a situation where he got to choose between having um, going ahead and accepting a penalty and having a third and seven or having a fourth and two, and he declined the penalty and punted on fourth and two. And then when asked about it, he said, you know, in the future, I'm going to have to think about what I'm going to do, which in my eyes – it just infuriates me because it's like, no, that's the wrong. Well, the, the wrong answer is the Tom one. No, I did the right thing, and 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 like being adamant that he did yeah. the right thing. So it's good that he it, he basically is admitting he he screwed he blew up. It. But he completely is missing the boat. You know what? You're gonna have um, you're gonna have a tight end injured. You're gonna have a fight going on with one of your assistant coaches. All heck's gonna be breaking loose. You got to stop making the decisions. You need to have Mackenzie Rivers on the sideline with the Mackenzie Junior backing him up, and Mackenzie's going to say, "You got to take that penalty, third and seven. And Mackenzie's assistant's like, "That's right," you know, and boom, and just tell, do whatever they tell you to do. And you've got enough plates that are spinning. You got to keep spinning them to keep them from crashing to the ground. You don't have time. And frankly, and I'll use a blackjack analogy: you just stood on a six. If you stand on a six. You're so far away from ever being able to make the proper decisions in terms of what to do with a seven against a nine that we don't even have to go any further. You just need to tell someone to, you need to hire someone to tell you what to do in that aspect of the game. This is one of the reasons, and RJ keeps asking me, how can I possibly be so low on this Texans team? This is a quote from David Culley preseason when they asked him uh, how he's going to go about deciding when to go for it on fourth downs, whether he's going to like refer to a sheet of probabilities or have someone on the headset give him advice. His quote was, I'm aware of analytics off. Uh, uh, I'm aware analytics offers those insights, but I'm going to go by feel. If I'm not feeling it, we're not doing it. Basically saying, I don't believe in math. It's all about gut. Like it's 1974. And, it, and, and like I said, you know, all you have to do is you could have a default and tell your team, look, if it's fourth and one and we're past midfield, um, we're going to rush to the line of scrimmage with a three wide receiver set and run, and, and the play we run will be a run. 
you will do better with that strategy than analyzing every aspect of what's going on with the game and where we are in the game. That strategy I just outlined is so rarely wrong that you're better off just having a play call, Texas! And Texas means do exactly what I just said. You know what? McKenzie and I talked about this the other day, and I'm curious your thoughts. I haven't gotten to talk to you since Monday Night Football. But, uh, well, you were on the right side of it, um, the Packers and Lions. And there was a while where I felt like I was on the right side of it. Things were looking good for me until a fourth and one decision came up. And Dan Campbell decided not only to go for it, which I, I in hindsight, it's real easy to say I, I don't like going for it there. But more so, I don't like the play call there. Like, if you're Dan Campbell and you're a kneecap biter, like, shouldn't you be able to run the ball on fourth and one and get one yard? Of, of course you go for it. So that's that's proper. We don't even have to debate that. And I've seen... I've even seen, with a lead and, you like, you're kind of controlling the game? If you bet Green Bay on the money line and they and they send out the field goal unit, what are you, happy or unhappy? I mean, you're probably happy. You're ecstatic. Don't yeah. tell me you're happy. You're like, thank God they're not trying to take the lead on me. I'll win this game if I'm up a point and I'm the better team. The, but you, you bring up a great point. That the bottom line is that when you have fourth and one, there are three play calls that you can do, all right? And one of them is always right, <laughs> and two of them are always wrong. The jumbo backfield, oh, if we can't get a yard, you know, we don't deserve to win. Well, you're not going to get the yard. You put in three tight ends, and you run the ball up the middle, you're going to lose two yards. Everyone who's watched a football game knows this, except for NFL coaches <laughs> that do it all the time. Um or anything similar, you only have a, you, you have a when you have a rushing set and you run the ball, it fails. Now, if you have a rushing set and you throw the ball, that usually works. All right. Or alternatively, you go with a passing formation. And like I said, if you run out of a passing formation, it always works because it's like six blockers, seven defenders. There's always a gap somewhere that the running back or the quarterback can get through. But if you throw the ball out of a throwing formation, that's dicey. That usually that's better than running it in a jumbo backfield. But then this is what the um, the Lions did, is yeah. they threw out of a throwing formation. It's still only a little bit more than 50%. It's, it, it, it's just, I, it, I don't understand. All you have to do is copy off of Belichick. Every t- single time, McKenzie, has Belichick ever not run that play successfully on fourth and one? 96, 97%, I'd say. Tom Brady, quarterback sneak, gains a yard and a half every single time. That's Jimmy G for his career, 15 and 15 on third and fourth and ones quarterback sneaks. Yeah, the quarterback sneak should be the play call every time to me. With with three wide receivers, because you have to cover them. You can't leave the guy alone. And and what it does is the time that it takes to turn around and hand the ball off, it gives those linebackers and it it gives a chance for gaps to get filled. And when you quarterback sneak, you have to guess. It's almost like uh, kicking a, a, a penalty kick in soccer. Like they just have to guess which gap they're going to dive into. And you, you at least give yourself a chance there. What the Lion, I was so pissed that the Lion, that's the call that they make there. And, and you know, there was a really questionable, uh, like, if, I don't know if you saw this. I know you don't watch much college, but the Auburn Penn State game, Auburn had a chance to win that game. Fourth down, goal to go. And they call a fade in the end zone. Like what? The fade is is is, is the play you call when you got the lead because it's so safe that nothing bad ever happens. Right. But usually it's incomplete. Yes. Yeah. You, please throw. And you're begging for a for basically you're begging for a flag, which you'll never get in a whiteout in Happy Valley if you're Auburn. So never. what we've got is we've got a world now where I, I think we're coaches are starting to realize it makes more sense to go for it on these fourth downs, which analytically is true. They're getting there. 
they're still not where they think that, or maybe it's they think they're too smart. They think they they're smarter than the room, and they're going to try to zig when everyone else thinks they should, should zag. When you should really just zag, and that's what works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the you know, it's, still, it's amazing. There's still resistance to the whole analytics and uh, and the new wave of doing things, and and it's just. Like I said, I just don't. I simply don't understand. Anyone who follows my Twitter sees me go nuts when every single time there's a fourth and one that fails. Here comes the old school guy. You got it. Conventional wisdom says you got to take the point. No, no, you don't. I'm like, I'm like, you don't hit 14 against a six on a blackjack table. That's not the conventional wisdom. Uh, we talked on Straight Out of Vegas yesterday about the rookie head coaches and their performance so far. Rookie head coaches against veteran head coaches this season, one and nine straight up. The average straight up margin is negative ten. Three and seven against the spread. The average ATS margin negative four, and their average fourth quarter win share thirteen point nine. The new head coaches are badly overmatched right now. What do you attribute it to? They're not very good, and they're struggling in their roles. Maybe they'll get better. But now here's the question I have for you. My five lowest-rated teams in the NFL are Atlanta, the Jets, Detroit, Jacksonville, and Houston. Houston being the lowest right now. Atlanta, Detroit, Jets, Jacksonville, Houston. All of which have brand-new head coaches. So yeah. my power ratings are not a secret, and they and I'm not out on an island here. So I have if I have five of the brand-new head coaches on the bottom five— the market's well aware that these teams are, are immensely struggling. So now I ask you this. Does that mean I look at the other two head coaches and say, well, these are the two good guys, Brandon Staley and Nick Sirianni, or do I alternatively say it's inevitable it's going to catch up to these guys, and do I look possibly to bet selectively against the Chargers and the Eagles? Well, here's what you should think. I mean, I don't think anybody had any doubts that Brandon Staley was walking into the best situation. I mean, he's got a a franchise quarterback in place. They've got a good defense. Things are set up for him to succeed there. Sirianni's only win so far is against another first-year head coach, Arthur Smith. So, true, true, but but the Eagles had have had a laugher of a win, and they had a war against the 49ers. So okay. I mean, I mean, I may think we got to evaluate, you know, not based upon them being one on one, but they have significantly exceeded expectations. Yeah, I, I'm still not sure what to think about the Eagles. They they are a, a confusing team to me, and it is still easy to remember. Oh man, they blew out the Falcons. I mean, the Falcons are just so awful. They you said they're last. Or are they, or are they fifth uh, from the bottom? Did oh, fifth from the bottom. Okay, they're Boy. the best of the bad apples. Boy, I mean, that might be being generous. Uh, I'm curious. What, and I would bet a substantial amount of money on Atlanta Pickham against the Jets, Detroit, Jacksonville, or Houston. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not here to argue. Substantial. It, it's not even close. Here's they're a, they're way thing. better. Uh, here's a great thing. I mean, Atlanta, they, the team that they're probably closest to, they play this week. So we're going to find out a lot about Atlanta because. Oh, the Giants are right there. Apologies They're, to the Giants not making the bottom five because they certainly have done their best. When you gave the bottom five, I was like, boy, I guess there is no room for the Giants. That's a shame for them, but uh, but that's all right. They'll, they'll, you know what? They get to play for their spot this week. That's the beauty of the uh, of the game. All right, let's talk about uh, a trend that you see here. 0-2 straight-up teams, you think they're undervalued by the market. Yeah, so and it makes sense. And I had McKenzie run these numbers, and he went ahead and went back, um, you know, quite a few years to 2003. And if you blindly bet on an 0 2 NFL team straight up, not playing another 0 2 team, 56% against the spread. 
And further, it's gotten even stronger in recent years. Since 2010, 59% against the spread. So all things being equal, that's going to go ahead and land me on an 0-2 team or likely pass on the 0-2 teams that qualify. Oof. Jacksonville hosting Arizona. you got to hold your breath on these. Indy at Tennessee. Detroit hosting Baltimore, who always beats up on bad teams. The Jets at a Denver team that has been great since preseason started, or the Vikings 0-2 hosting Seattle. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, throw you a curveball here, something that we didn't discuss pre-pod, but I know you'll have the answers to. The game that I was surprised where it reopened at, and I'm surprised that it hasn't moved a whole lot, is Arizona at Jacksonville. This feels like a game that would just be getting hammered at seven, and I know there's some seven and a halfs popping now, but for the most part, it's been at seven since the since this thing opened up this week. What is keeping people from dumping money onto the Cardinals? Well, we always go back to power ratings. So I've got Arizona two points better than an average team. I don't think that I'm on an, on an island there. I think that that's a pretty good rating. I think where we have our discussions, how bad is indeed Jacksonville? Why well, have Jacksonville the second worst team in the league right now? Eight points worse than an average team. So I've got them rock bottom low, and even you know with that difference, that's a ten point spread on a neutral. Give Jacksonville a couple points for home field. We get to eight Thursday night game. We always go. Ahead. I'm, I'm sorry, not a Thursday night game, but the um, um, so a standard Sunday game. So eight, it would be what my power rating number would be if you give Jacksonville two and a half for home field, which I do think is too much. We get to the current number of seven and a half. That's something I wanted to get into as well. Let's get into the uh, the home field. And I, I was talking to McKenzie today, and McKenzie, if you can put those numbers up, I, I think that home field is becoming less important maybe than ever and and it may the exception is maybe last year when fan you know there were no fans in the stands but it still feels like home field advantage is not caught back up and I know kind of we've we've made our standard here two and a half points I'm starting to think personally two and a half points is too much for home field advantage to be a standard across the board thing yes I agree and you know frankly I expected some Big blips in September for home field based on crowd noise that that would really throw off the road teams because they wouldn't be used to it because there's no crowds, obviously, last year. And we're not seeing it. We're seeing that uh, road teams through two weeks. Mackenzie, you've got these numbers. You want to read them? Sure thing. So there was one neutral game, if you're wondering why it's not an even number. But 19-12 and 12 against the spread are road teams. Three and a half margins, so they're beating expectations on average by three and a half points. And it's evenly split between their offenses and defense, both exceeding by about 1.75 points. So what do you make of it? What's going on here? It is a small sample, only 31. So I want to be careful with that. But I will say that we've been seeing this trend going on for years where three was for years we, we used for the home field. And it was clear that that was too high. And the latest numbers, I think, had indicated two was a better number. Given, I don't want to, I know the road teams are 16 and 15 straight up, so I'd be inclined to say, hey, home field means nothing. I think two probably looks like the right number based upon the how we started this year. All right, let's get into, with all these changes that have uh, have happened over the last two weeks, I like what you do here, and you lo- you keep looking at the season win totals as they as they adjust over the course of the season. Uh, we gave out a few last week. Where do, what did you land on this week? Where's the value right now if you're betting season win totals? These are at DraftKings. I'm going to give out six of them that stood out in my eyes. Carolina, over 8.5. 
whoa, what is going on here? I think I have Carolina rated as, as an average team, I believe, right now. And I think, if anything, I'm in the minority. Most people in their power ranks – excuse me, I have Carolina one point better than the average team. Okay. Most people, I think, have them even better than that. Two impressive wins. And they're already 2-0. and So it's a 17-game season. You're telling me Carolina's not going to wind up 9-8? and Like them over. Washington over 6.5. I get it. Washington has um, not performed up to expe- expectation. They could be 0-2. Uh, but Heineke's played just fine. Um, and their season win number was 8.5. They're 1-1, and now we're going to drop it two games to 6.5. Too much of an adjustment. I like Washington over. Uh, one more. Um, just two overs. Um, I apologize. Three unders I like. Kansas City, under 12.5, minus 140. That was the number before the season started. I tell you, the Chiefs have not looked good versus expectations the first two weeks, and they got hit with a loss. I think you have to play Kansas City under. Look at that division. Look how good the West Coast teams have been playing. Every team yeah. in their divisions forecasted to finish above 500. Uh, Raiders just by a smidgen. Arizona, I'm going to go under 10.5. They played very well, but they could have lost to Minnesota. They won the stats. Bottom line, here's an 8.5 win team that suddenly a 10.5 still resides in the NFC West where all the teams are playing well. That looks like it's too much of an adjustment upwards. Uh, and Buffalo, under 11.5. I know they had a great game against Miami, but uh, they've already lost a game they were supposed to win against Pittsburgh, and their season win is as high as it's been all year long at 11.5. That doesn't make sense That's just to me. a value uh, mispricing to you. Exactly. So Buffalo under 11.5. And, and then I see here you like the, uh, the Raiders to miss the playoffs? Yes, and this is all about their division. That when it's pick them. When was the last time you could bet on a forecasted last-place team, clear-cut last-place team, to not make the playoffs and not have to lay a lot of VIG? Because the Chargers are supposed to win 9.5, Denver's supposed to win 10.5, and Kansas City's supposed to win almost 12.5. I have to look under. And this is, frankly, the Raiders have done this in the past few years, started strong and had their season derailed later in the year. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're betting – that they missed the playoffs, this this week's pretty important. I think a 3-0 start for the Raiders would be huge, um, especially given, you know, the Raiders have already taken games that nobody thought they were going to take. I mean, hell, you thought the Raiders had, it was the, here's my question. Did you upgrade the Raiders this week pretty significantly? Because you told me last week the yes. Raiders were in the worst spot they could possibly be in. And they went out and they thumped the Steelers. Yeah, it certainly helped that the Steelers' entire defense seemingly got injured uh, before the game or during the game. So that was a big factor. But the Raiders played very well. Carr played very well. I've upgraded the Raiders substantially. I now have them as an average team. And everyone's like, oh, where's the love for the Raiders? They're playing so well. Well, bottom line is their season went over under right now. Um, It's still a very uh, pedestrian nine and a half. All right. So uh, 9.4, they're already 2-0, and so the season win number says they're a 500 team the rest of the way. Okay. Uh, that, that makes some sense. All right, the, the West you were mentioning, the AFC and the NFC West, both looking pretty strong so far. You know, I don't really know how to profit from this, but just an observation. I have had a theory for years that it's extremely difficult to win in Rust Belt, unpleasant cities such as Detroit— um, such as, well, Buffalo would be an example of one that has kind of defied um, that logic in recent years. Green Bay has defied it. 
interesting because I would argue Green Bay and Minnesota, if you're one of those big, ugly O-linemen, you like nothing better to be in the cold and go hunting and fishing. And you could make a case for Green Bay and Minnesota to be the I, the dream spot as a lineman, especially an O-lineman, to be living in. Okay. I don't think you can make that case for Detroit, Cleveland, Buffalo, Philly. Chicago. Chicago, New York. Even New York. Now, I know if you like you know, the, the nightlife and everything, you, New, York, New York has advantages. But the taxations is so bad in those cities as well that I've always made a case long term those cities are going to have are going to struggle to win because it's going to be so hard to attract and retain free agents without paying through the nose. The week three uh, historically has been a good week to the over. Any thoughts on why? Yeah, I think what this one makes sense. That what happens is that coming out of preseason, the offense is oftentimes a little bit behind the defenses. Takes a little while for the numbers to gel. And the play, the play calling, the timing to gel, and then it kicks in week three. But what happens is oftentimes we get some lower scoring games the first two weeks. And so the totals go down week three when they really should be going up. Uh, the bottom line is if you go back uh, the last seven years and blindly bet every game over, 57%. Oof. Pretty darn strong. So about on average, nine and seven each and every year. There's a subset here. If you just bet teams that are 2 and 0 at home, and play those games over, you're actually 69%. I'm always concerned when I'm trying to figure out why something is true. My theory, it makes sense after I say it. Oh, these teams are playing fast and loose. They're happy, 2-0. and oh, And so they come in. A fast and loose team that's happy is much more likely to go over than a team that's playing you know, very conservatively, um, that's been turning the ball over, and it's being more careful with the ball. But um, if you do follow this 2-0 and oh home teams... Uh, just playing those teams over, you're going to land on Las Vegas over 45, Denver over 41, Rams over 55 and a half, and San Francisco over 49 and a half. Four two and home teams fit that um, that um, subset of the good over trend. You have a uh, you have a favorite one of those this week? Probably Green Bay San Fran over. Okay, yes. yeah, I kind of like that too. I, yep. It's uh, I, I I was talking to to our guy Lance Zerline, and he was saying that. You know, there, he expects a lot of play action and big shots over the middle from both these guys, uh, but both these teams. And it, San Francisco is one of these teams. They they don't have a run game right now. They're, they're all their running backs are, are, injured, are broken. Right? But he said that's, that's that's kind of an exaggeration. I've heard many times. The starting number one running back came back into the game against Philly and ended it. I okay. Him to play. All right. That's all. That's all. Wait, is he going to carry the ball every time, though? And he's a sixth-round draft pick with no pedigree. <laughs> so I'm just saying it's a little bit exaggerated. But, and it's very commonly said. I've heard it many times. So what he said was it doesn't matter really who's running for San Francisco. He says the way that they run is – I mean, it's a, a Shanahan thing. That's always been the Shanahan-Kubiak thing. It, whoever you put at running back is going to have some success there. So he said that matters very little. When, when Shanahan's coaching, teams are always going to respect the run – and eventually safeties are going to have to come, they're going to have to leak in, and there will be big plays available over the middle uh, for the 49ers. So uh, that is interesting to me. Another over, it doesn't fit your subset. But doesn't Mostert run 25 miles an hour, like right with Usain Bolt? I, I don't know if he does, if he's quite that fast. One of the fastest players in the NFL is true. Uh, one of the, the overs that I like, it, that it does not fit your subset, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be interested in it anyway because I don't know where the stops come from is Minnesota-Seattle. I mean, these that Minnesota defense looks rough. Uh, Seattle, they, I mean, 
Russell Wilson, statistically, I think RJ's concerns about if he was going to be the last six weeks of the season, Russ Wilson, they've at least been calmed some because Russ looks like he's pretty good. I think that's going to be a game with a lot of points scored. Yeah, what's interesting about that is that there is a corridor in terms of how high they're willing to deal a total in any one game, and they're at it at 55 and a half. Um, Mackenzie, I don't know if you've got if you can query this, but how many NFL games have had a total above 50? Let's go 50, 57 or higher the past 10 years. I'm sure not many. It's it's that's like the trigger point that it seems like there's the lowest you can deal an NFL total right now seems to be 40. And pretty much the high point is like 57, and the odds makers want to stay within that corridor. And I don't know if that's right. Um, 21 times, so about twice a year, not often. Twice. You, you, and I think the reason being is that you look at the Charger-Dallas game last week. Mm-hmm. Now, guess how many punts were in that game? I think there was one. That's right. Exactly one. 37 points. How is that even possible? And Penalties and turnovers. If you have the turnovers in the wrong area of the field— um, and you're getting any ball-controlled drives, you just cannot have failures in the red zone and get to 60. So that's you know that's part of the reason. And watching that game, and, and I know not everybody watches every game, but I, I was watching that game. I was heavily invested in that game. And it felt like if you, if you watched the first quarter of that game and you had the over, you thought you were going to breeze to a win. No question. And then it, it – now – you were probably, if you had the over, you were as frustrated as I was that every time something good happened for the Chargers, a, a magical penalty flag flew out of the stands and it was, uh, it was wiped off the board. But there was a lot of, uh, and and there was Herbert through some t- some interceptions at just really, really crucially bad times. Yeah, and to be fair, I thought Herbert played very well, but the yeah, sometimes the ball's shaped funny and just that stuff happens. So I agree with you in terms of overs. Uh, I don't know if I can get there at a 55 and a half, though. And it wasn't just that game that uh, that had very few punts. You, I see here that you've got you've got a stat. Every every game had 10 or fewer punts. Yeah, so there just weren't any any you know huge punt games anymore. And I think that that makes sense. You're going to still see a lot of games that are going to have nine or ten punts. Now, but we, I don't think we're going to see games anymore with like 14 and 15 punts, and we used to because of this. Um, you know, coaches are going to absolutely be going for it. Well, uh, to be fair, Zach Wilson, the Jets might have punted uh, 15 times, but he was just throwing it to the other team. So it was stats real, <laughs> you know, real close to equal in that game. And and those, it's interesting because on the one hand, you say aberration, four turnovers. That's why the Jets got rolled. However, if you watch the game, you can say if you watch Trevor Lawrence, also hmm. you're like these guys are. It's like they're colorblind. They can't tell what jersey color their their receivers are wearing. It's funny, and I, I wonder if it's. I don't know if it's overkill that, that like Mac Jones. I'm, I'm even I'm doing. I'm like, man, Mac Jones has been really good this far this so so far this season. But I mean, Mac Jones has been very average. It's just compared to the other rookie quarterbacks, Mac Jones looks like you know touchdown Jesus. <laughs> I mean, the the other guys are just so atrocious. And you know what? That brings me to the last thing I wanted to discuss on this pod was. The drop-off, uh, the, the, there's quarterback injuries this week. It's already announced that Justin Fields is going to start week three for the Bears. I'm curious of the the quarterback injuries, the, the ones that we know are out, and then the ones that are questionable, what's the difference? Because I, what I'm seeing is most of these quarterbacks that got hurt or the, the, that are even questionable this week, I would say Derek Carr's questionable. I think he's... 
certainly in the upper echelon of quarterbacks at this point. All the other guys, I would argue, are just not good quarterbacks. So I'm curious what the drop-off is. Although Tyrod Taylor had played very well so through two games. What do you have the drop-off on those quarterbacks? Yeah, so start from the top. So I've got Carr as a top-10 quarterback. If they have to go to Peterman, we got to fast-forward past Mariota, who's always injured, as you know. Uh, that would be a four-and-a-half point you know, adjustment. That's, that seems right. Like they, it, Carr to Peterman's a, not a good backup. He's the third-string guy. That That's not a great situation at all. That would make sense. Yeah, so I've got Big Ben versus Rudolph. I've got Rudolph you know, rated a lot worse than, than – or a point worse than Peterman. So because of that, I have it as – I have that as a three-point adjustment on the line. That you know, feels and, high because Ben is so bad right now. Well, you know, to be fair, I think I got Ben too high. I got Ben one point worse than an average quarterback, and I'm like, with the pectoral situation, remember, Ben plays. This assumes a healthy Ben. Sure. All right? So so there is no the option that a healthy Ben's going to play this week, so I think I, I got a lower Ben this week for the injury regardless. Uh, you mentioned Tyrod Taylor playing very well. I, have, I actually have him one point worse than an average quarterback. I have Mills five points worse four point adjustment to the line that Huge might be right that might and especially because being a rookie a guy who didn't have a lot of college experience that's a pretty and, and obviously on a team that's not very good Tyrod Taylor can make things happen with his with his legs that that Davis Mills won't be able to so I, I agree that's a pretty big drop off uh if I go with Tua versus Brissett um nominal difference that's what I think too. tiny to a slightly preferred less than a point um I have a look at Carson Wentz big adjustment Wentz is obviously not a good quarterback. I have him clearly as a bottom 10 quarterback, number 27, 28. But I've got Jacob Eason, five points, same as Mills, five points worse than an average quarterback. He's shown me, you know. So, so what's the drop off? Three there? and a half points. God, that feels like a lot. The same thing has been. Like just the, the way that Carson Wentz has played has been so poor. He didn't that- look that bad to me. He's. I mean, he um, now if he does have to play with two two ankles and his other injuries. Well, I mean, he's going to have to play if that's what he does. That's what he is going to have to play with. But I mean, it seems that's what he's been playing with all along. So sure. Uh, and then Fields, Dalton, I have no no adjustment whatsoever. I would have had an, as as an upgrade, but the interception that Fields showed through with four minutes to play and a double digit lead shows a complete lack of football IQ uh, that that concerns me immensely. Uh, I agree. That you, you you were right to downgrade Fields. I think that it may be more of a downgrade than than even. I I'm with the masses that think long term Fields is a much better solution. And if I'm the Bears, maybe I'm willing to just take the lumps this year and get him those reps. But just watching Dalton play that game and then the drop off that the Bears suffered as soon as he left, I was like, oh boy, th- this guy is just not ready. He's he's not ready for this game. Well, I can't give Dalton credit for you know the the is it the guy from Georgia that intercepted the pass and took it back yeah. for the Bears. So um, it wasn't like that offense was clicking. No, one but he them. was like nine of ten. Pa- I mean, he was he was at least sharp. If the Bears are ahead by ten, I want Dalton as my quarterback, and if they're behind by ten, I want Fields. That that makes perfect sense, McKenzie. You got a, a note on Tua. Yes, I made the first ever, my first ever bet with our pregame's own Mark Green over under nine and a half cents movement for the Dolphins AFC, what, yeah, East odds. I said it'd be over. There'd be some change. You guys want to weigh in before I tell you the result? I'm guessing that the way you, you, you said over, 
I said over. I'm guessing that it went over because otherwise you wouldn't be talking about this I on the I just love pod. to talk about my man, Mark Green. Zero oh. change. Plus oh. 425 yesterday, plus 425 today for the Dolphins to win the East. I don't see, I don't see how the Tua injury can help the Dolphins because even if, um, if they're better with— No, I, I didn't think it would help. I thought there'd be 10 cents of movement either way. Anyway. I think it should go against the Dolphins because the Dolphins are going to play Tua— and if he's going to have cracked ribs, I mean, anyone who saw Rocky knows what that can do to your performance, right? <laughs> yeah, I thought it'd be I thought it'd be a slight downgrade. The market says no, don't care. Yeah, the mark. I I think this is an example. The market doesn't care because it's such a stupid bet that who cares if <laughs> I, I use this example with division bets all the time. Who cares? All I care about are season wins. That's all I care about because. If the Dolphins, as a bookmaker, if you give me four to one or three to one, they're both equally stupid bets because they're not going to win the division. So, what does it matter that it moved from 350 to 370 to 320? Can I bet no? Can I bet no on credit? Do Minus 350? No, I can't. Through two weeks, and, and the Dolphins, I mean, the Dolphins were just not competitive last week. And it, I mean, Tua didn't look good. Then Brissett didn't look good. Are we starting to think that maybe the Dolphins. 2020 was sort of uh, it was phony like maybe it, I mean it was a good run a good stretch of games but they just weren't like the, the Dolphins were overvalued coming into this year based on last season one NFL GM said you can't return fumbles to the one yard every game that was during the offseason about the Dolphins so there was very high levels of skepticism before the season I think there's there's an argument there I don't know. I think the media narrative was, you know, Flores is right from that Belichick tree and he's the best of the bunch and he'll just keep doing what New England's done and keep winning all these close games because, you know, he's clearly, you know, Belichick too. Well, we'll see. Well, all I know is Josh Allen didn't play well against the Dolphins and somehow they beat them 35 to nothing. You know, it's hard to, it's hard for me to say a quarterback doesn't play well when they win 35 nothing. Uh, okay, he didn't play like he played most games last yeah. season, uh, but it, they still were able to win 35 nothing. I think the Dolphins are in real trouble and it, it, I'm I think this game against the Raiders is is big for the Raiders for their chances this season and it, it's big for the Dolphins cuz the Dolphins lose this game I think things crumble fast because the one win that they do have is a really phony win to me, a game that they got kind of pushed around in by the Patriots, and it took a, a fumble that wasn't a fumble and a fumble that was a fumble. But they met they met expectations. Say the Raiders, say they lost that game by three, right? That's what yeah. that's what should have happened. Yeah. You know, so I don't think we can dock them for losing by three when they're, they were supposed to lose by three. That's probably fair. Um, but we certainly can talk them for that nightmare against Buffalo. Yeah, and I, was, to, be, uh, to be fair, I had them against Buffalo, so that was not some of my. That's best the first work. bet I've won against RJ. Mm. That's a big. This is a big moment for me, Fez. Yeah, don't um, don't get too used to it. <laughs> All right, uh, appreciate you coming in and doing this, Fez. Uh, and we will talk to you guys later on when we do the picks preview uh, coming up later tonight. Uh, McKenzie, thank you as always. Thanks to the audience for tuning in, and we will see you guys later.